Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. And my God, standing next to Vivek Ramaswamy on a TV debate is the best thing that ever happened to Nikki Haley's credibility. <laughs> Welcome to SiriusXM Progress After Dark. Thanks to Dean Obadala for being such a great lead-in. Thanks to Dean's whole team. For the next three hours, we're going to be coming at you with as much information, unpleasant truths, welcome comedy, and fun as we can muster. Chris Houseltz, our executive producer, Thea Harper, is producing our show out of Brooklyn. And my name's John Fugelsang. I hope you're doing well. There's a lot to get to today, and fortunately, we have a terrific show. Garnet Henderson from Rewire News Group will be here very shortly to talk about what the abortion battles are looking like in the heartland of Idaho. She's doing a three-part series, and I'll tell you, I thought, I thought uh, banning abortion was scary in this country until I read her stories about what's actually going on in Idaho. And I love Idaho. It's a great place, but you don't want to miss it. Tomorrow night on the show, we'll be joined by TV's Frank, Frank Conniff. But as always, our most important guest is consistently you guys. 866-997-4748 is the number you call to be part of our broadcast, and we would love to hear from you. Let's get to it. We have a lot to cover tonight, and I'll try to get to it as fast as I can. Supreme Court refused to block an Illinois ban on certain high-power semi-automatic weapons, an incredibly positive and hopeful story. The EU has agreed to open the membership process to Ukraine uh, and Moldova, despite strong objection from Viktor Orban and Hungary. The CDC, uh, citing this dramatic rise in respiratory illness nationwide, is begging more Americans to seek out flu shots and COVID vaccines and RSV vaccines. Vaccine rates are far below the average this year. And Patty Smith... Uh, says she is resting, as the doctor ordered. She was briefly hospitalized in Italy on Tuesday night after coming down with what they called a sudden illness. She had to cancel a couple of shows. Patty Smith is 76 and set to play New York City Christmas week. Also, a bull was spotted running along the tracks at New Jersey's Newark Penn Station earlier today. Maybe you've seen the video already. It's really worth a look. It delayed trains for commuters heading into New York City. <laughs> it's gentlemen start your metaphors now you also may have heard that today in what's likely the last major vote in congress for the whole year the house passed a compromise version of the national defense authorization act and they sent the annual pentagon policy budget bill to joe biden's desk and the lawmakers well they're starting to go on vacation the house overwhelmingly approved it it's 886 billion dollars in spending. This happens every year. That's got a 5.2% pay raise for troops. It authorizes funding for Ukraine, uh, $300 million for Ukraine, implementing the U.S.-U.K.-Australia nuclear submarine deal. The vote was 310 to 118. 73 Republicans and 45 Democrats made up the opposition. Conservatives were very angry about the removal of provisions related to abortion and diversity and transgender troops. Still, come on. 
It's nearly a trillion dollars going to weapons and war. And a whole lot of it's going to line the pockets of wealthy defense contractors who fund Republicans instead of helping working class people. Come on. You'd think the Republicans would be happy about that. Now, right now, as we speak, it is the eighth night of Hanukkah. And I hope that you guys had a beautiful Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to everyone listening live. And if you're listening on demand on the app on the Fugelsang podcast, we hope you enjoyed your Hanukkah. As we broadcast live right now and record this show, though, American Jews and allies are shutting down eight bridges in eight cities across the country for the eighth night of Hanukkah with one unified message, ceasefire in Gaza right now. Chicago Jews and their allies have shut down the Washington Street Bridge next to Boeing's headquarters. 150 or more uh, Jewish Americans and allies went to the Jackson Street Bridge in Atlanta to say ceasefire now. Over 150 people are setting down University Bridge over Lake Washington in Seattle, calling down for a permanent ceasefire. These are Jewish-led protests against what the Israeli government is doing. In Portland, Jews are taking over the Burnside Bridge with a giant menorah. Protesters demanding a ceasefire in Gaza shut down the 110 freeway in L.A. yesterday. Jewish people have been at the forefront of the ceasefire movement across the world. You know, when you call this movement of solidarity with Palestine anti-Semitic, it's ridiculous, okay? Sane people know that Hamas are evil Nazi motherfuckers who committed an atrocity. But moral people of all backgrounds are uniting right now to call for a ceasefire, to stop this insane civilian slaughter, and to call for an end to the apartheid system and occupation in Gaza, because it's better for the Israeli people, too. Israelis deserve to live in peace and security. The Chicago Sun-Times editorial board just called for a ceasefire, saying it's not necessarily brave to call for a ceasefire when so many people have died. But it is needed now more than ever. If not now, when? I acknowledge Hamas is evil. 137 hostages still being held. They should be released now. And hundreds of close relatives of American citizens are stuck in Gaza amidst this Israeli bombardment. And by the way, growing mass starvation, has your media told you about that? And their family members in the U.S. say the government's not doing enough to help. And amidst the news today that the White House wants Israel to stop the current assault in about three weeks by the end of the year, a U.S. envoy to Israel relayed a White House message to Israeli officials. Make the campaign a lot more precise, less heavy on the casualties, Wrap it up by the new year. It means nothing. Listen, Palestine must be granted their sovereignty. Israel deserves security. Israeli lives are as important as Palestinian lives. Palestinian lives are as important as Israeli lives. Can we say that together? Because neither of those two sentences are anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim. I support Israel's right to exist. I mean, Israel deserves relief from centuries of victimization. Jews are the most oppressed minority in the history of the earth. But both sides in this conflict have very, extremely large amounts of blood on their hands. And what we're seeing in Gaza now is a massive humanitarian crisis. You can go online and Google just Gaza hospital video. Google Google Gaza child and see the footage that pops up. More than 85% of the 2.3 million people in Gaza have been displaced. They're trying to get access to the very small amount of food and water that's still there. Over 18,400 Gazans have died, two-thirds of them women and children. Israel says they've killed 7,000 Hamas fighters. But that's 7,000 out of 18,400. Gaza is cut off from the rest of the world. There's a communication and internet blackout. The Israeli military is rounding up hundreds of Palestinians across northern Gaza Strip. They're separating families, forcing men to strip to their underwear before taking them off to some undisclosed location. And again, Israel, yes, has a right to defend itself. But the mere fact that one country, Gaza, is 100% dependent on another country, that's Israel, for electricity and water and food is insane. It's not sustainable. It's not going to make life safe for anyone living in Israel. There's a lot of blame on both sides, but the underlying dynamic has to change. Gazans are imprisoned in their own territory. And the Palestinians, including the children, are still being bombed and killed. Kids are losing their limbs. They're dying. There's widespread starvation. Winter is here. The killing's got to stop. We need a ceasefire. It's just, it's got to happen. 
Gaza is currently the most dangerous place in the world to be a civilian. And a lot of this is Netanyahu's fault. We can talk about it. Yes, Hamas deserves the blame. They're Nazi bastard murderers. Absolutely. But we know Netanyahu funded Hamas to prevent a two-state solution. He propped him up to control the Palestinians. And then we know he knew that Hamas was planning this for a year and he did nothing. And then he sat on his hands for hours while the innocent Israelis were slaughtered and kidnapped and mutilated and raped. There's plenty of blame on both sides. We need a ceasefire now. Here is Sean Fain, American labor hero of late, the head of the auto workers union who captivated our hearts and minds during the strike. This is Sean Fain today in Washington, D.C. Give a listen. As union members, we know we must fight for all workers and suffering people around the world. We must fight for humanity. That means we must restore people's basic rights and allow water, food, yes. fuel, right. That's right. humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. That's right. We must also call for the release of all hostages. That's right. yes. I thank our UAW members for speaking out and pushing us That's right. to come out in support of a ceasefire. Right. It was the right thing to do. So now it's time for the rest of our elected leaders to step up and do what it takes to end the violence. And I call on the rest of the labor movement to join us in this mission for peace and social justice for all of humanity. Okay, so Joe Biden had a Hanukkah reception Monday night in D.C., about 800 people at the White House, and he called himself a Zionist. He said, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. I'm a Zionist. And he got huge applause in the room. Majority of Democrats, however, feel that Israel's response to this attack by Hamas in October has gone too far. So Tuesday, Biden criticized Netanyahu, which we haven't seen much of, calling on him to embrace a two-state solution. Open criticism is a big shift for this president. And it signals that they're being a little bit public about the disagreements as what's going to happen after the war in Gaza ends. Biden warned Netanyahu that Israel is losing international support over the war in Gaza. He singled out the indiscriminate bombing and he called Netanyahu's government the most conservative government in Israel's history. And then he supplied him money and weapons and ammunition to do more. He vetoed the U.N. resolution for a ceasefire. Biden's right. Israel's losing international support. It's bad for Israel. Netanyahu is bad for Israel. Same way Hamas is bad for Palestine, the same way Trump was bad for America. And Netanyahu has said, no way. He will not allow the Palestinian Authority to govern Gaza after Hamas. (laughs) He won't allow it. Now, again, Biden said you've got to assemble a new governing coalition. If there's ever going to be hope for a peaceful resolution, Netanyahu doesn't want that. He just wants to stay in power. Biden even said Netanyahu would need to change, to moderate, to get a long-term solution. Netanyahu doesn't want that. Netanyahu needs it to be war forever. And if Biden's pressing these concerns publicly, you can guarantee he's hammering the guy in private. And he's correct about the safety and security issue in Israel. But Netanyahu is trying to survive accountability for how he failed the Israeli people. He is dangerous and reckless for Israel, for the entire region, because he's willing to sacrifice as many lives as possible so he can stay in power. There will be no returning to the status quo when this thing is over. Is Israel going to accept a two-state solution based on the 1967 UN agreement, or are they going to have just a war for years? And again, I don't doubt that Joe Biden cares about the lives and health of Palestinian civilians, but at this point... It's ridiculous. Biden is promoting the two-state solution. He's promoting a leading role for the Palestinian Authority. He's doing a lot of stuff we can't see. And it wasn't the U.N. that got a ceasefire a couple of weeks ago. It was Joe Biden that helped do that. Okay? Um, This is not anti-Biden. But losing the world's support? Joe Biden's going to be losing America's support and the world's support. He said on Tuesday, Israel's carrying out indiscriminate bombing in Gaza. And then on Wednesday, his White House told CNN he has no plans to shift his position and draw any red lines around the transfer of weapons and munitions to Israel. He said indiscriminate bombing on Tuesday, and Wednesday he said, carry on. Now, we just heard this week congressional interns released a letter uh, accusing Congress of having suppressed and ignored a tidal wave of American support for a permanent ceasefire. More than 140 interns signed this letter. And and a lot of them were anonymous, but they said they've gotten a total of 693,000 messages supporting a ceasefire and that the Congress people won't talk about it. 
Is this going to hurt Biden a year from now? I don't know. That hundreds of thousands want a ceasefire now? Admittedly, 700,000. It's not that much in a country of 300 million. And again, in fairness, none of those callers were also demanding Hamas release the hostages. Maybe an oversight on their port. And I'm not pretending Joe Biden has any magic wand to stop this conflict. Quite the opposite. I know he doesn't. He's told Israel they'd like to see them scale down the operation by the end of the year. But the Washington Post just reported that America's not conducting real-time assessments of Israel's adherence to the laws of war. They're required to. We're legally not allowed to transfer weapons to states where war crimes are, quote, more likely than not to occur. So we're party to war crimes now. You understand? It's at this point illegal for us to continue arming Israel during this conflict. Now, there's no way Biden can stop this. None of us know how hard the White House is trying. We don't know the risks of demanding a ceasefire politically. And then Netanyahu would ignore him. How bad would it be for Joe Biden if he demanded a ceasefire? Netanyahu said, fuck you. Go ahead and cut off my funding. Because Biden wouldn't do it. And if he did, there's enough big money donors who would supply Netanyahu with billions to carry on his campaign of war. In the midst of all of this, Putin just said there's going to be peace with Ukraine only when we achieve our goals. And those goals have not changed. So he's talking about the denazification or demilitarization of Ukraine. In other words, this is the dictator. He's saying the war will only end when Ukraine doesn't exist anymore and it's been absorbed by Russia. That's evil. Now, no one's saying Ukraine should make peace, except people who like Putin. Ukraine should have a ceasefire. They don't have the power. But here's my question. If 1,000 dead Palestinians, 2,000, if 10,000 dead Palestinians wasn't enough, 15,000, when's it going to be adequate? I get that Biden's been trying to restrain them while supporting them. I I get his strategy. But Joe Biden has now tied the United States and his administration and his place in the history books to the outcome of all this violence. Israel has a right to defend themselves. But the slaughter of these civilians is not in Israel's interest, and it's not in ours. Here is Senator Bernie Sanders earlier today. Israel has the right to defend itself against Hamas terrorism. It does not have the right to go to war against the Palestinian people and kill thousands of innocent children and women and men. I have asked President Biden to do two things. Number one, not support $10 billion for Netanyahu's right-wing government to continue their horrific military strategy. Number two, to support the United Nations resolution, which would provide a humanitarian ceasefire so that the UN and other aid organizations can provide humanitarian relief that the Palestinian people desperately need. Thank you, Senator Bernie Sanders. So look, here's the deal. 153 countries voted for a ceasefire in Gaza. We isolated ourselves and said no. The Palestinian people would like a ceasefire. The Israeli people would like a ceasefire. You know who doesn't want one? Netanyahu, the IDF, Hamas, and apparently the United States. Will Hamas attack again? Yes. If you have a ceasefire, will they attack again? Yes. If you don't ceasefire, will they attack again? Yes. They're not going to surrender. If you keep killing Hamas, they will still attack. You will create new anguish and rage people who will see Hamas as the only vehicle to protest how Israel blew off their child's arms. And the only way to stop Hamas is put him out of business, a free Palestinian state with control of its own borders that acknowledges Israel's right to exist. Either do that or it's more decades of this bullshit. You can kill every last Hamas member. You'll never win back your reputation. Israeli boots on the ground looking for Hamas and protecting civilians as much as humanly possible. That is the only thing America should be condoning at this point. This is urgent. This military action is never going to end. And Biden was right to publicly criticize Israel. But again, when he says indiscriminate bombing in Gaza, that's too little too late for a lot of liberals. There's Detroit voters he's never going to get back. He's going to need Michigan in 11 months. A lot of young black and brown voters don't like Israel's treatment of Palestinians. They think it's a racial justice issue and they don't understand this president they voted for. America's not supporting Israel at this point. We're supporting this military occupation. We're supporting this war against the Palestinian people. Netanyahu won't stop. He's a criminal. He will humiliate Biden to make Biden look ineffective. And Biden should call for a ceasefire anyway, because it's the right thing to do. He's going to lose this election because of Gaza. That could be his main legacy in the history books, too. But it's not too late. Let me quote. I renew my appeal for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza to get aid to the population as a matter of urgency 
May all the hostages be freed immediately. No to arms. Yes to peace. May this enormous suffering of the Israelis and the Palestinians come to an end. Pope Francis. The Pope is to the left of our government. We'll be right back in just a moment. This is Sirius XM Progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. I'm John saying This is Sirius XM. Let's talk a little bit about Idaho. You know, in fact, let me quote my next guest. There are multiple abortion bans in effect in Idaho. After Roe fell, the first to take effect was a six-week ban in the style of Texas's SB-8, which empowered civilians to enforce it by filing bounty hunter lawsuits against doctors. But Idaho's version did more than that. It included criminal penalties and doubled the civil penalties from 10000 to a minimum of 20000 The law is also written in such a way that a rapist wouldn't be able to sue a doctor for performing an abortion to his victim, but one of his immediate family members could. Yeah, it's that bad. And these are the words of the great Garnet Henderson, who is Rewire News Group's senior multi-platform reporter. You may have read Ms. Henderson's work before in The Nation, Cosmo, L, Scientific American, Marie Claire, Vice, The Guardian, Wired, Glamour, and The Atlantic. I already love how diverse that resume is. In 2020, Garnett created Access, a podcast about abortion, which he hosts and produces as a solo project. And as I was just saying, this is a, a person who is as great a storyteller as they are a journalist. It's a real pleasure to welcome Rewire News Group's Garnett Henderson back to SiriusXM. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I wasn't preparing to be all outraged about Idaho, but thank you for reminding me of how repressive and how revoltingly fake Christian the scene is out there. I remember how this year we're trying to create this new crime of abortion trafficking. For those who aren't lucky enough to know, can you explain what that is and how that works? Sure. So it is a first of its kind law, although it is currently blocked by court order while a legal challenge proceeds. So the law is no longer in effect of, as of this moment. But what it does is it makes it a crime to help a minor. So someone who's under 18 get an abortion in the state of Idaho if you are not their parent or guardian. And what it was really designed to do was to stop people from giving teenagers rides out of the state to get an abortion in a different state, basically. So under that law, a parent or a guardian can still do that, but any other trusted person cannot. And they also dissolved the state's Maternal Mortality Review Committee. This is pretty sinister. Can you explain what that is and what it means that Idaho is the only state without one now? 
Yeah. So as you said, every single other state has some kind of process in place to investigate pregnancy related deaths. So they examine every single one every year, try to figure out what went wrong. Usually they compile it into a report and make recommendations for how it could be prevented because most of the pregnancy related deaths we see in the United States are preventable. Frankly, we already do a terrible and shamefully bad job of preventing those deaths. Our pregnancy-related death rate is far too high, especially for such a wealthy country. And yeah, in the, the last legislative session, Idaho lawmakers essentially defunded their maternal mortality review committee so it no longer exists. So no one has to know these unpleasant stats and no one ever has to discuss the fact that abortion is safer than pregnancy and safer than childbirth in Idaho and all 50 states. Exactly. They also uh, refused to expand postpartum Medicaid coverage. Um, so also banning abortion while refusing to expand health care for people who have given birth. But that's the name of the game, right? It's all a war on poor women and it's all punishing poor women with greater poverty and, and Absolutely. punishing your state by forcing having the state force the poorest taxpaying citizens to be pregnant against their will. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As I said, one of the things I love about your writing, Garnett, is that you are a, a very rich storyteller. And in this story, you take us inside the life of a, a woman in Twin Falls named Laya Babayan. Am I saying her name right? Leah is her first Leah, name. Leah, so sorry. Leah Babayan. Um, and, you know, it seems to a lot of us that it's a red state. Idaho votes for these politicians. It must be what they want. What you've done here is really show that for many Idahoans, they're terrified to speak out uh, for fear of retaliation. What was it about about uh, Leah's life and story that drew you in? Well, I first learned about Leah, who owns a boutique in downtown Twin Falls, which uh, is this town that was built in the early 1900s, kind of a, you know, agriculture boom town, and they still have the historic downtown area. So if you've never visited there, it really looks like a movie set. It's a pretty amazing place. And I heard about Leah and her shop from the founder of an organization called Idaho Abortion Rights, because Idaho Abortion Rights distributes these boxes to business owners all over the state. They have more than two dozen of these boxes that they call reproductive health boxes. So these boxes have things like emergency contraception, condoms, pregnancy tests, and information about how to get an abortion. And I was asking Kimra Luna, who's the founder of Idaho Abortion Rights, where are some of these boxes in places where it might be a little bit more risky to have that in your store? Because right. Boise, Idaho, the capital, is a much more liberal place, right? And mm -hmm. so Kimra said to me, well, yeah, there's this woman in Twin Falls who's got a box in her store. And so I visited Leah because it just so happened that Twin Falls was the last stop on this 10-day reporting trip I took. And it turns out she's a fascinating person. Her family, uh, they're Armenian, Armenian Christians, so they have experienced actual religious persecution and had to flee that from the former Soviet Union to the United States. And they arrived to Twin Falls as refugees and have pretty much been there ever since. They're just a really interesting family. Now, I, I found it interesting that Idaho, where she has made her life, is the second fastest growing state, according to the Census Bureau, topped only by Florida. And the general impression I get from your work is that the Christian nationalists are really happy to flock there because they're building a movement with a very deliberate plan to infiltrate the government and shape all the policy. Idaho's got a really long, rich history of dramatically right-wing extremists, and uh, the state is 92% white, right? Why was it important for you in this piece, Garnett, to go back into the history of Idaho and the different circumstances that brought us to where women are facing this kind of wall now? Well, I grew up in Wyoming, which is really close to Idaho, similar place, not the same, certainly, but similar. And Living now in New York and being a journalist who writes for a national publication, I've seen a lot of coverage of what's going on in Idaho. And I think the attitude from national journalists and from people on both coasts of the United States is often sort of like, eh, Idaho is a really red state. Of course, this is happening there. Right. And I actually know that that's really not true because a lot of the conservatives in the Mountain West when I was growing up 
truly did not care about abortion and other social issues. They really did just want the government to be small <laughs> uh, and not interfere with people's lives. So actually, they really weren't supportive of abortion bans. And so yeah. I really wanted to delve into what changed that now the Republican Party, both in Idaho and in my home state of Wyoming, have embraced banning abortion wholesale. And not only that, are trying to find new and different and more extreme ways to do it all the time. And so it's absolutely true. Idaho does have a real history of attracting extremists. It's part of a few different white supremacist and Christian nationalist ideas about mm -hmm. uh, basically a utopia. People might be familiar with the Northwest Territorial Imperative. That's a, uh, a white separatist idea. <laughs> mm, I remember that yes. when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and, yes, and then so for, those, for those who don't know, that was a that was just a bunch of, of fun loving white people who decided we're going to create our white supremacist society right up here in the Northwest. Absolutely. And a lot of people will know the phrase Ruby Ridge, right, and be at least partly familiar with the story of the standoff um, between a white separatist family in the far north reaches of Idaho, all the way up near the Canadian border and the U.S. Marshals, uh, which ended terribly with multiple deaths. And those were white separatists who moved to that area because of the Northwest Territorial Imperative. And then more recently, it's also part of the American Redoubt, which is like a Christian fascist survival idea that does the same thing. It designates that part of the country um, as a, a place where Christian nationalists can establish their own alternate society. And people have been intentionally migrating there. It's a political migration. Um, and to be clear, Idaho is a beautiful place. Some it people is. are just moving there because it's beautiful. <laughs> it's a and lovely it might place. Be more affordable. Yeah. Than whatever other states they're moving from. But yes, there is a lot of evidence. And in fact, there are if you've been to Southern California recently, you might have seen out in Orange County, there are billboards advertising land in Idaho to people who want to flee the the blue cities of of the coast. So it is a real political migration that's happening. And of course, you know, the white supremacist box is checked. Uh, you point out in the piece that um, right wing Idaho has been a leader in the anti LGBTQ legislation in this country, and they've enacted a lot of anti gay policies before anybody else did. And I get it. But I think a lot of people are going to be saying, OK, I, I get that they're really right wing and they sure they love their guns and they follow some kind of Christianity that has nothing to do with the brown skinned Jew Jesus when what he talked about. But you write in the piece, it's no surprise that abortion bans are a centerpiece of this far right policy agenda. Garnet, the million dollar question is, what does criminalizing abortion rights have to do with white supremacy? Well, a lot of historians and scholars have pointed out that reproductive control is one of the first elements you see in a fascist system when it starts Boom. to be established. Yes, because if you want to have an all-powerful state, you have to keep supplying that state with citizens who will be workers and who will be enforcers, right? And we also hear people speaking very openly right now about the idea of the great replacement theory, oh, right? Yes. This concern that white people are being replaced in the United States by people of color. And so all of that combines in the minds of these white Christian nationalists to make them want to control people's reproduction because they they want more white babies it is really what they want white christian babies and a lot of people will correctly point out that banning abortion also results in more people of color having children but That's as right. we discussed pregnancy is dangerous um, and we know that people of color already have worse access to health care in the u.s so what it also can result in is more dead people of color That's and right. so uh, I don't think those things are, are actually in conflict the way they may seem. And that also explains the targeting of LGBTQ people as well, because anyone whose idea of gender is in conflict with those traditional binary gender roles um, yeah. is going to be in the way of establishing that type of Christian nationalist society. That's it. 
It's women's be thinking too much. And it's all mm -hmm. about keeping women in a certain place and using their bodies against them to keep them from joining the workplace. Once again, it's just more mediocre men uh, deciding that this government they hate so much has the right to force some taxpaying citizens to be pregnant against their will. It's always the same mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. What has the impact been in Idaho on maternity wards and women's health clinics? Yeah, so I, I went to a community called Sandpoint, which is in North Idaho. Beautiful place, big uh, vacation destination. North Idaho has all these gorgeous, huge mountain lakes. And Sandpoint is right situated right next to one of those lakes. And it was the first place in Idaho to see the labor and delivery ward at its local hospital shut down. Um, now there's at least one other hospital in Idaho where that has happened as well, because so many OBGYNs have left the state. Basically, they just could not maintain adequate staffing levels at that hospital to be able to deliver babies. And what that also means is that access to reproductive health care has really tanked for everyone in the community because it's just a few nurse practitioners and one nurse midwife who's coming up one day a week to Sandpoint who are caring for everyone's reproductive health needs in the community. And if you need to see a doctor or if you want to give birth in a hospital, that means driving at least about an hour or an hour and a half. And that's in good conditions. And it's cold and it's snowy in North Idaho. It was already snowing when I was there in late October. So we're talking about people being in really dangerous situations, just to access basic reproductive health care. And for example, I spoke to one woman in Sandpoint who chose to drive to that hospital an hour away and just have labor induced, um, which is yep. something that can actually increase your risk of complications. But she chose to do that because she was understandably afraid of having to drive an hour or more to the hospital while in labor if she just waited to go into labor naturally. It's a really scary reality. I mean, it's terrifying. You write how every OBGYN who used to practice in Sandpoint has left. There's just a couple of nurse practitioners and a midwife who visits when she can. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it makes me need to ask the question, Garnett, what is it like for women's health activists in the state of Idaho right now? How, how is it going for building coalitions to try to just even have a, a, a voting block of women and men? who respect women's reproductive freedoms in Idaho? Mm -hmm. Well, I, d I definitely encountered a real culture of fear just in general around pregnancy in Idaho. And that's what my first story from the trip really focuses on. And that's fear of all different kinds of things. Fear of talking about abortion, of trying to figure out how to get out of state for an abortion. But also, as I mentioned, just fear of dying because of these restrictive laws, should you be pregnant and run into some kind of complication. And so I heard from activists that they do have a pretty high turnover rate because there are people who want to get involved trying to organize, help others get abortions or organize for policy change. But a lot of people do get scared and kind of drop out. But there are a lot of Idahoans who are really trying to fight back against what's happening in their state. I mean, I even spoke with quite a lot of Republicans, lifelong Republicans, who said, I don't agree with this abortion ban. It's gone too far and I want it to change. And they're upset that the Idaho Republican Party won't do that. In fact, last year, they tried to add exceptions to the ban, broader exceptions, and even that effort failed. So people are upset. And probably the most exciting effort is that there's a an effort to get a measure on the ballot in Idaho for 2024 that would reopen their primaries. So Idaho used to have an open primary system. You didn't have to be affiliated with a particular party to vote in a primary. And then in 2011, that changed. The Republican Party fought that system and won closed primaries. And that's when the extremism really accelerated in Idaho. And so there's a campaign to not only open the primaries and make them nonpartisan, but to introduce ranked choice voting in oh those primaries. Yeah. So that's my <laughs> last story comes out on Monday. I know. And it goes into more detail on that effort. 
and um, <laughs> progressive icons, really Idaho, well. Pro- <laughs> progressive <laughs> yes. icons, Idaho. <laughs> yes. And they're well on their way to gathering the number of signatures that they need to get that onto the ballot in 2024. Not a single person that I spoke with expected that to fail. And people are really energized about it. But as you point out, uh, many Idahoans, including self-styled conservatives, are terrified to speak out openly for fear of retaliation. Absolutely. I mean, one of the people I spoke with, an interesting woman named Krista Hazel, she's one of those lifelong Republicans who's proud of that, but is not proud of the direction her party has gone in. And interestingly enough, her father was an FBI agent who was the lead FBI agent in the investigation into the order, which was a really violent white supremacist group in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, they robbed a bunch of armored cars. They were trying to get enough money for their plan to overthrow the U.S. government, committed many murders. So anyway, her father was the lead agent investigating the order. He's also the person who made the arrest at Ruby Ridge. So he was not part of the standoff. Yeah, because that was the U.S. Marshals. And after the U.S. Marshals kind of bungled that whole situation, because they really did, the FBI was brought in to essentially clean it up. And so Krista's dad was the person who made the arrest there. And because of that, when she speaks out against extremism, they throw that back at her. And there are a lot of extremist politicians and just pundits in Idaho who have basically suggested that her father was personally responsible for Ruby Ridge, which is really a way of inciting violence against her. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and so it, it's very serious. The the potential consequences for speaking up are huge because these people are so aggressive. Now, I've been reading from a piece of yours uh, called In Idaho, Extremists Have Created a Culture of Fear Around Pregnancy for Rewire News Group. That's uh, part one of a three part series that you've been doing all about the action on the ground in the beautiful state of Idaho. And I want to ask you about part two, when an abortion mm-hmm. abolitionist becomes your state senator. Can you tell us a bit about uh, Scott Herndon and why he's very popular with rapists who would like to pick out the mothers of their next children? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why a lot of people have heard of Scott Herndon. Last year on the floor of the Idaho State Legislature, he referred to um, the rape of a 13-year-old girl who then becomes pregnant as a hypothetical opportunity for that girl. Um, And he also argued that that quote-unquote abortion trafficking ban we discussed should have been even more broad and should have also criminalized parents um, for helping their kids get abortions. And he is the former leader of the North Idaho chapter of a group called Abolish Human Abortion. So most mainstream anti-abortion groups are pretty careful in how they talk about criminalization. And they'll say that they don't want to criminalize pregnant people for having abortions. They they just want to criminalize the actions of doctors. Yes. And I believe that, too, but they'll talk around it. However, there is a really hard line part of the anti-abortion movement that is open about its desire to criminalize people who have abortions and even execute them, put them to death. And this is the part of the (laughs) anti-abortion movement that Scott Herndon comes from. And he is now a state senator in Idaho. That's the pro-life movement. So pro-life, they might have to fucking kill people. And, you know, I'm so glad you highlighted this guy, because along with what we've been witnessing in Texas the last couple of weeks with Miss Kate Cox, Garnet, it just seems to me that this is all the Democrats need to be talking about for the next seven months. These kind of policies might be fine in deep red bubble like insulated Idaho. But as you know, better than me, these policies are all big losers with that big wide swath of independent white America they're all competing for in the general elections. It it just seems like, you know, the dog finally caught the car and now they're stuck with it. Do you have hopes that the Democrats are going to be able to really use stories like these to get an even greater voter turnout next year than we saw in 2022? Because I'm not buying the polling about Joe Biden's numbers. I don't think Americans care about Joe Biden's numbers. I think they care about what the Supreme Court did. And I think voters are going to turn out not to vote for Biden necessarily, but to vote against these Republicans. 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, at this point, I don't think people are going to turn out to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I do believe he's very unpopular, especially with young people right now, um, and especially in light of his handling of what's been happening in Palestine. I think a lot of people are really upset. And so I do think Democrats have a big opportunity to be out there talking about abortion. And I just think that they often fail to do that. I mean, even after issue one succeeded in Idaho, enshrining abortion rights into the state constitution, Joe Biden's statement about that didn't even include the word abortion. <laughs> and so I think Democrats right. need to get so much better about actually just talking about abortion because Republicans are never afraid to do that. And then they dominate the conversation because I think you're absolutely right. This is a winning issue. And Democrats have an opportunity to talk people's ears off about it, right? And to say, here's what we're going to do to protect abortion rights. And so far, I haven't seen that on the national level. I think there are some state legislators and governors who are doing a much better job. I think Gretchen Whitmer is an example of that in Michigan, someone who's not afraid to talk about abortion and someone who's following through on her campaign promises related to abortion. It's going to be a crazy year. Garnett Henderson is Rewire mm -hmm. News Group's senior multi-platform reporter. We've been talking about a couple of her pieces as part of a three-part series on the reproductive health crisis and Christian nationalism in Idaho. Garnett, I'm always honored when you join us on the show. I love your writing. What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Well, you can follow me on the site formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> and Instagram at Garnet Henderson. And you can follow us at Rewire News Group and visit rewirenewsgroup.com to read all of these pieces. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great holiday season. And I look forward to seeing you in the new year and reading all your great journalism and fighting all these battles. Thanks so much for having me. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. John Fugelsang. We're at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Let's, uh, let's get back to our calls. Y'all been waiting on hold for quite a while. Stephen in New Mexico, thank you so much for waiting. You're on progress. Oh, may talk with you, you see. Hey, welcome. Good to see you. Good to talk to you, Brother John. Hello, Good Chris. <laughs> uh, I'm 116th Cherokee, y'all. Uh, that's what we all think. I, I thought I was 116th Cherokee, and then I did a 23 in me. <laughs> I haven't done that yet, but uh, my grandmother well, watch was born out. in 1888, and I, I don't think she'd lie to me. <laughs> uh, listen, my granduncle swore to me about the, the full-blooded Cherokee, and then uh, wound up not being the case. So I'm just saying, watch out. You, sometimes you find out you're even whiter than you thought you were when you take those things. Yeah, yeah, well... Uh, I, I'm close enough to to that thought that uh, that you know I've uh, I've pursued doing ceremony with uh, uh, native people here in Taos, and uh, I'm 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 very happy about that. And I've got to say, you know, uh, if you really want to understand what's happening in Israel and Palestine, uh, just just look at the map uh, over the years of Palestine and how it just slowly disappeared one acre at a time until there was nothing left except the uh, Trail of Tears that took them to Oklahoma. Yep. Well, yep. I, it, what I'm talking about is a similarity between what happened to the Cherokee in Georgia 
Oh, I get and it. And what has happened to the Palestinians. Yeah, I get it. And it's even more, I mean, I find it to be even more complex than that, because you can make the arguments historically that Palestinians and Israelis are both indigenous to that region. Uh, and uh, both Semitic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus, you know, can, I keep saying, like, if, if, if God or Allah or Jehovah wanted anybody dead, he'd smite them himself. He's not smiting anybody. But I just, I'm sorry to be this person. Go ahead. Well, because I, I completely agree with Stephen's sentiment, but all of the land where they were concessions from treaties that ended wars when they were invaded by neighboring nations. That's, that's right. Mm -hmm. in, in, in the case of... Yeah. 1967, 1960, 1973. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a rabbi from New York the other day, and he was talking about Zionism. I was shocked to hear you say that uh, uh, Biden has called himself a Zionist. Biden called himself a Zionist in the White House on Monday night. Yeah, he said you don't have to be Jewish to, to be a, a Zionist. I was listening to a rabbi out of New York the other day. I, I wrote his name down, but I, I'm not sure I found it here. He considers Zionism uh, anti-Semitic. I know this is the debate. I mean, there are those who, there are those who believe that the concept of owning land is anti-Jewish. I mean, it's not for me to say, but you know, the the big the big complaint was that the Republicans put out this measure last week that a lot of Democratic Jews uh, voted present on, where they said that Zionism and being Jewish were the same thing, and that anti-Zionism was anti-Semitism, and all, this is why all the Democratic Jews refused to vote on it. Mm, crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. and you know this 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 comment, this statement, uh, this meme uh, from the river to the sea. I've been told that that meme has its origin with Zionism in the fifties. Both Jews and uh, Palestinians believe it. I mean, it's just it's across the board. They all think it's their land, and yeah, God is not weighing in on this. And it seems like God. He or she wants them to share it in peace. Seems like that's, that of, seems to be way the way the Almighty's coming down on this. It's well, part of there's a, another it's similarity of, between the American experience and what's happening there. It sounds suspiciously like uh, Manifest Destiny, doesn't it? Exactly. Chris, please go ahead. Jump bit. in. Well, I was just going to say that, that the fact that they both have that shared sentiment and that phrase in their histories is what makes the idea of a two-state solution very difficult. And, you know, I think the idea of a two-state solution is a very Western idea, if you yeah. want to call it, you could call it, because we're so detached from it. But two states in, in that region doesn't have much support in Gaza, in the West Bank, or in Israel. Oh, I know. It's either all or nothing on both sides of the coin. And I know it. that's what makes all of this so difficult. And well, what's the I other option? I see it as Zionist uh, versus Hamas, you know? Yeah, I guess that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I just look on it as, you know, I mean, it, it's, just, it's overlanded. It's so stupid and it's killed so yes. many people and it's taken up so much blood for so many years and it needs to stop. I'm sick of it. I, I've said this before. People are sick of me saying it. But this peace negotiation should be carried out by Palestinians and Israelis who are under the ages of 40 because they're the ones who are going to have to live with it. No old men should be making this peace. It should be young people. They get to live by it. Yeah, yeah, they, they, it's their future. <laughs> That's it, man. Thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate hearing from you. Have a great evening. We're at 866-997-4748. Let me, I want to get to a lot of people. Let's go to Al in L.A. Al, welcome. You're on Progress. Hey, good evening. I, I, I can't, I don't know if you planned it this way, but the the two topics blend in perfect. Um, and, okay. you know, the caller that you had on right before your, your two guests. Sarah from Brooklyn. Just. I hope she's still listening. She is a huge part of the problem. They, these people, they don't know the history. And you, 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 you kind of, you know, cornered her there. They don't know. They're totally ignorant of the history of the situation. And you know what? Your two guests, really, if you want to underline everything they were saying, they're basically saying, people, learn your history. Yeah. You know, that history has been whitewashed uh, for the natives. And same thing. Um, the, the, um, I love, uh, I, I am a dual citizen, Canadian and American. And mm -hmm. in Canada, they, you know, they've made 
somewhat good strides in acknowledging land acknowledgements and so on and so forth to the natives, to the Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's some of it's happening in the States. But the bottom line is, and, I, and Sarah, I hope you're listening and anyone like her who wants to, you know, just make horrific statements and not remember what happened on October 7th, the slaughter, the innocent slaughter that ended a ceasefire. Need I remind you, there was a ceasefire until October 7th. And well, you know what? I, I mean, it all, it I mean all... this war has been going on for a long, long time, and there was still suffering going on, even though it was during what you call a ceasefire. But go on, please. I agree. I will agree. And, you know, if you ask, half of Israel is divided. Half would would love a a two-state solution when their former leader almost had the peace agreement that Yasser Arafat, you know, could have, could have, this all could have ended then, but he turned it down at the very last minute. But I'll also always always believe, I'll always believe if Ariel Sharon had not gone into a coma, we would have had a two-state solution back maybe during the Obama administration. I think so. But really, my, my main point, I know there's so much, you've touched on so much, but I want to say to all of those, you know, that, that you know, think they have a, the right opinion and, and, and just want to whitewash what happened. Number one, learn your history. Number two, if the Hamas would surrender, and why don't we talk about this, John? Why aren't you talking about it? The, the hostages. Release the hostages, and you'll I see. I literally, <laughs> I literally talked about it in the every hour I've been on the air tonight. Okay, good. I I might have missed that out, but you know what? It like, hey, that's the release the hostages. We can start talking about a ceasefire, and also I, I I'll end on this note because I could talk for hours on this. It's okay. So all my American and Canadian friends who want to talk about the land and and who occupation and so on and so forth, you know what I say to them. You give back your land to the aboriginals. You're you're just a bunch of hypocrites. Everyone that's listening right now, if you're not willing to sell your house today and give it back to the original uh, people of this uh, uh, continent, the First Nations, the aboriginals, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Don't be telling the Israelis and, and even the Palestinians, whatever. You have no right to talk about giving back land when you're living on stolen land. So I just want to say they are all hypocrites, and I don't want to hear their arguments. If they're not willing to do that, they have no leg to stand on, really. Thanks for calling. Have a great evening. Appreciate hearing from you. Yeah. We're at 866 Okay, before the break, Dave from Mount Vernon, Washington. Thank you so much for waiting on hold. You're on progress. Yeah, I was just calling up. I was going to talk to your earlier guest, just saying for future reference, they said they had a, uh, trouble in the past to getting their land and mineral rights from the Indian Affairs Department. And mm-hmm. I was just wondering what the latest was on that. Oh, I mean, it it varies. Like right now, I mean, Julia, as a Canadian, is waiting on uh, a a massive historic settlement that the Canadian government's been promising First Nations people in Canada, uh, where they will get land uh, or some kind of... I want to call it reparations. Um, I'm so sorry that we didn't get to your call during their segment, but they'll be back next week. If you want to call in, they can address anything you have very specifically. They're both very nice people. Yeah, that was just, you know, just putting that up for discussion how just the government owes a lot of people a lot of money and they're not paying. Yeah. I'll tell you, this country's got two open wounds that have always been there, and it's the treatment of African-American slaves, and it's the treatment of the indigenous people who are here first. And I don't think America's going to ever have a chance to be a healthy, thriving, whole nation until we make it right with the descendants of the people that our ancestors abused and stole from and brutalized. I just feel like this is America's moral IQ test, and I'd love to see us be part of the generation that began to try to make it right. You can say hey, I'm a dreamer, a but I'm not the only one. Thank you for making your call. I appreciate hearing from you. We're going to take a very quick break. This is Sirius XM Progress. We'll be right back. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure 
how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm John saying This is Progress. Let's get to your calls. Catherine in Florida, welcome. You're on Progress. Uh, Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, Mr. John, can you hear me? I hear you great. Okay, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, listen, with all the, the weird and bad news uh, that keeps coming around from Texas and everything, I know people can get very disheartened. There is one thing that people can do, and that is to go to voter.org and make sure that they check their registration status. Thank it you. will lead yes. you to your local links. Make sure that you are still registered to vote in your state. And that way, when you go to the polls, uh, there won't be any odd things. Um, and, and that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I'll um, thank you. take any replies that I'll Right on. Here, no, no. Thank you. Listen, thank Catherine, you. can you do me a favor? Can you call every radio show in America every day for the next 11, next 11 months and remind people of this? Because it's so important. Just because you think you're registered doesn't mean you are, especially if you're a non-white person or have a last name like Jackson and live in a red state. There are people trying very hard to get your name thrown off the voter rolls. Well, you. you know, maybe I can contact them and get a bumper sticker or something. So, <laughs> All right. Have a great Thank night, you, Catherine. Thank you, Mr. John. Thank you, Miss Catherine. What a great pleasure. And now, do you want to? Can we just have really quick the sound of Ted Cruz being a complete weasel? Here is Ted Cruz, because Ted Cruz is a unmanly coward. Uh, for some reason, never actually answering reporter questions about Texas resident Kate Cox. A three. Senator, what's your view on the Kate Cox case in Texas? Just call a press conference. We've done that several times, Senator. It seems weird that you won't comment on it at all. You have absolutely nothing to say about this case? Sorry. Most people in Texas are talking about it every day. Do you believe the law is being enforced as it's supposed to be? That's how terrified they are. Hack from Virginia. Thank you for waiting on hold. Welcome. You're on Sirius XM. Is it Hack or on, Jack? Hack. Is it Hack oh, or Jack? Hack. Yeah. Hack. Your Hack. name's Hack? I, I love your name. Welcome. Short for my last name. But yeah, we, yeah we've talked before. Yeah, it's good but, to have you. Uh, Christmas decorations. I have not okay. seen the White House Christmas decorations this year. Um, what do they have their panties on a lot about? <laughs> They don't. They want to hate, and so they hate. And as long as you hate, there will be people to hate. That's all it is. I'll I'll explain it to you, Hack. And they're going to hate because it doesn't look like an Edward Gorey, Melania Trump nightmare design. Go ahead, Chris. It's it's a very oh tasteful, God. it's a very tasteful, normal, if you were to look at it, and, and if I didn't tell you it was the White House, you would believe it was a Christmas tree shop. It's very yeah. plain and, and very American, uh, but they released a video in which to show off the White House Christmas display, it is um, a tap dancing troupe dressed up as characters from the Nutcracker, and they introduce it every room. And so it's a very musical, fun, light kind of thing, and people just think that it's weird because they don't like black people dancing in the White House. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's. I, I knew those people had to figure in somewhere, but 
Oh my God, <laughs> Melania, Melania stuff. Who who was the artist that you were talking about? The Melania oh, thing. I think Charles Adams. He made the Adams Family, right? I think he designed uh, Melania's, yeah. or, or Werner Herzog yeah, yeah, maybe. It, I don't know. It's, it's it's got to be. I thought it was um, H.R. Yeah, Geiger. Yeah, the, the black and the whole black and gray thing and the red Christmas yeah. trees. I mean, yeah. I mean, of, I kind of listen. I'll be honest. I kind of. I kind of liked what Melania did. I thought it was very different, but she's so goddamn creepy, and it was so not right for Christmas. I'm fine with mocking her for it. Yeah. Oh my god, those those, those red trees. I mean, nothing says menstrual Christmas like those red trees. <laughs> the red trees were the least disturbing part about it, my good sir. But yeah, look, you know, Melania said she hated fucking Christmas. That's her words, not mine. And um. Lucky thing for her is she's never going to be in charge of a White House Christmas decorations again. We could only hope not. And (laughs) I I don't really like all the accusations of Melania being a gold digger because any gold digger worth their salt recognizes fool's gold. Ah, very nice. No, I'm sure she's with Donald Trump (laughs) just because it's true love and and she's uh, just inconsolably hot for him. She's so crazy about this man. That's all it is. It's true love. Thank you, sir. Really a pleasure hearing from you. Do I have time for one more, Chris? Really quick. Tim from Chicago. Really quick. You're on. Yeah, you got time Series for XM. one more. With like nine seconds to go. Welcome, Tim. Hello, sir. Uh, one thing I would love to see is that uh, uh, either uh, Rashid Tlaib or uh, Ilhan Omar just start invoking uh, Allah as much as Mike Johnson invokes <laughs> God. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I would love to see them demand to say a prayer in the well of the house before the day's proceedings. And when it's time to say the prayer, they say there is only one God and the law is his messenger. That I would love. There's nothing like, you know, I have this fantasy that Muslim kids at high school sporting events will make right wing Christians not want prayers before public events. And uh, I like your idea. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> like, don't you remember, don't you remember that like people would get upset that they were elected because when they swore into office, they'd swear they were they're going to swear on a Quran. That's right. They're going to yeah, they're going to take the oath on a no requirement there that you have to swear in anything. <laughs> no, exactly. there, there have been congressmen who've sworn in on comic books, for God's sakes. That's right. Yeah. But Keith, Ellis, Keith El- by the way, to, Keith Ellison was sworn in. They need to do that because uh, they're already martyrs in, in the media eyes. So lean into that and just say, hey, okay, we're going to invoke Allah. Like, Allah wants me to do this and that, and then, yeah. That's it. All right, well, with that in mind, I'll just say that Keith Ellison was sworn in using Thomas Jefferson's Holy Quran. Thank you for a great show. And Chris, what a great show. Uh, thank you to the great Chris Houseelf. Thank you to all of tonight's guests. Thanks, Jake Getz, for helping us out on the show. Thea was out tonight. Thea's moving, so she was very, very busy. Um, my God, and let's go all the way back in time to the top of the show, and thank you to the great Garnet Henderson of Rewire News Group. All right, I'm out of time. Guys, I'm sorry we didn't get to your call. We will be back tomorrow night. Keep it tuned to Progress all day long. Come see us live in San Francisco on January 20th, and we'll see you tomorrow right here on SiriusXM Progress. Progress.